You know, in our uh, culture today, I don't know how to say it other than uh, relativism uh, has become king in a whole lot of ways. Right? We live in a society that's increasingly becoming more and more relativistic uh, by the moment. And if you're not familiar, uh, the word's pretty straightforward. I think most of us kind of know what that means, but I'll give you the definition of what relativism, relativism is. And so the actual definition is the doctrine that knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relation to culture, society, or historical context and are not absolute. And so that's, that is the, just to say that, that knowledge, truth, and morality exist within a society and at different times, and those things are ever shifting and changing, and so there are no absolutes. And that's where our culture is in so many ways. We see it in all sorts of different ways around us at this time. Uh, that there is no ultimate truth. Uh, we've, we've even adopted a saying, I don't know if you've thought about this, and maybe you've said it, and so I wanna, we'll, we'll talk about what it means, but then also graciously try to unpack that together. But the idea of my truth, uh, people say that a lot today, that's just my truth, or I'm speaking my truth, or, or this is my truth, and that's your truth, and we start to talk in those ways. We kind of put that uh, modifier on what truth is, And really, if we assume the best, and we always want to assume the best of someone that we maybe disagree with, and so I disagree with that statement, but if I assume the best, I think what people mean is from my perspective. From the way I see things, this is what I think is true. But when we start to say my truth or your truth, we're saying something about truth that is no longer true, right? There isn't your truth and my truth. There's one truth. There is an absolute truth. And when we start to speak that way, it's gotten so into our culture that it's almost like assumed now that that's a thing, that relativism is a thing, that there is no absolute truth. And so we've embraced that in our culture, and that's become the way people often operate. And so what we see a lot today is that there is no real truth that's based on my feeling and what I think. But the reality is, and what Scripture tells us, is that truth transcends our feelings. It transcends our culture. It transcends my understanding that what is true is still true, whether I understand it fully or not, or I feel it fully or not. And God tells us that over and over again. But we're facing kind of a wave in our culture that makes it harder and harder to say that. Harder and harder to say, no, this is what the truth is, because our culture has so embraced this idea and one of the reasons that it becomes, it's become so hard in a lot of ways is you can go online and find validation for anything you want to believe. You can find other people that will embrace you in something that's clearly a lie and say, yes, that is true. And then other people will get together and they'll kind of pat each other on the back and they'll go, yes, that's true. And that's our truth. And that's right. And, we, and so it's so easy to get swept up into that kind of thinking today because at any time you can go and find someone who will agree with you. And so it's a difficult tide that we're facing. Part of it becomes really difficult because down at the bottom of that is if you say there is truth, this idea is so ingrained that we can't know what it is and everything's relative. If you say there is truth, it's so assumed that there'll be a backlash against you. You're ignorant, you're regressive, you're exclusive. You'll get all these kind of things if you say, well, this is what's true. And that's happening at a rapid rate all around us. I was thinking about this a lot this week and it reminded me of the children's story that my mom used to read me when I was a kid. Maybe, you, maybe you've read it. Maybe you've read it to your kids. It's a book called The Emperor's New Clothes. Have you seen this book? I remember it when I was a little kid. I remember loving that book and thinking it was really funny. The emperor was walking around naked at the end. That's what I remember as a kid. 
But when I reread it this week, I reread it this week as I was thinking about it. And I was like, whoa, this is way deeper than I remember. Way deeper than I ever imagined as a kid. And so Hans Christian Andersen wrote this book 100 plus years ago. And in the book, there's an emperor that loves new clothes. And he wants new clothes for every occasion. And so what he does is he, he has new clothes made for him all the time for everything he does because he just loves to go out and be seen in his new outfit and what that looks like. And so one day a couple of tailors show up and they convince him that they can make him the greatest clothes that's ever been. But there's one catch that you have to be sophisticated enough to be able to see them. And the, sim- the simple people will not see them. And so they convince him that that's the case. Now, if you read through the story, what ends up happening is he comes in to see them making the clothes and there's no clothes there. But he doesn't want to admit that he's simple and he can't see them. And so he goes, yeah, okay, these look great. And then that happens to everyone on down the line. And as you read through the story, you get to the end of the story. And what happens is the emperor is presented with his new clothes by these scam artists, really is what they are. And he says, fine, we'll dress me in them. And he goes out for this parade at the end of the story. And he walks through the streets naked. He doesn't actually have any clothes on. But this word has spread that only the simple-minded can't see it. And he walks through the street. And some people are going, oh, it's beautiful. And look at his clothes. And it's wonderful. And finally, a little child goes, he's naked. He's not wearing any clothes. And at first, the parents go, no, 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 that's not the case. Oh, you're a simple child. You don't see it. And then all of a sudden, people start to realize he really isn't wearing any clothes. And it gets to the end, and I thought, as thinking about that book a lot, that's our culture in so many ways. Things that we know are true, that we've known are true for thousands of years. And now people say, no, 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 that's not true. And nobody wants to be the person who stands up and says, the emperor's not wearing any clothes. And if you do, you better be ready to face a backlash. I was reading, uh, as I was thinking about this, this kept coming to mind. It's actually the words from a song where they're referencing the emperor's new clothes. And I've always loved this line. But in the song, they say, the kids have always known that the emperor wears no clothes, but they bow down to him anyway because, because it's better than being alone. And that goes right to the heart of everything that Jesus is going to say today. That if you speak the truth and you hold fast to what God tells you, there is going to be a tide that comes against you. It's going to tell you you're aggressive and you're exclusive and how can you believe that and what would, why would you say that? And Jesus says to expect that. He says, know that that's coming. Now, his culture was a little different than our culture, but the heart was the exact same. Because down at the bottom of all of this is really what the Bible calls sin. If you think about it, the original sin was this. You don't need God to tell you what's true. You can have your own truth. Right? That was Adam and Eve in the garden. You don't need God to define this for you. You can define it for yourself. And it's the same sin that was the very first sin that entered into the world that was in Jesus' day, that's in our day, that makes it really difficult with what Jesus tells us. Because Jesus comes and he is the Logos. We talked about this the very first week in our series here, way back in January. John chapter 1, Jesus is the Logos, the divine truth. That Jesus is ultimate reality. And when the Logos comes, the divine truth comes into the world and shows us exactly what it looks like to follow him in all things, you are going to stand in opposition to the world in so many ways. And so here Jesus is going to tell us as he sends out his 12 disciples. 
He names his apostles and he sends them out. And we were looking at that last week. And he says, you're going to go. And as you go, I'm sending you out as sheep among, <clears throat> among wolves. It's going to be difficult. And there's going to be opposition at every turn. And so we're really kind of picking up from where we were last week. You can kind of go back and listen to, to part one last week if you want. But as we are today, the last two things we're going to look at in this chapter is the mindset that is needed knowing that this is true. Knowing that Jesus is telling us that there's going to be opposition. But he's going to tell us really two really important things about our mindset. And then the second thing I want us to consider is the promises that he gives us that will come. And so there's three promises I want us to consider because when you see the mindset he tells us and the encouragement of the promises he gives us, I believe it's we can stand trusting him even in the day that we live in. And so let's look at this together. The mindset that is needed in a world that we live in that is so opposed to the things that God says. And so look with me at verse 16. I'm going to read 16 to 23 again, just so it's fresh in our minds as we think about the mindset that's needed. Jesus speaking says, I'm, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and of, innocent as doves. Be aware of men for they will deliver you over to courts, flog you in their synagogues, you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say for, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of the father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child. Children will raise up against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And so I'm going to stop right there and just tell you, I don't know that he can say this any more clearly. To expect persecution. And so the first thing that I want you to think about, the mindset that we have as we go out into the world, is expect that when we speak the truth of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus and what that looks like, it's going to be offensive to a lot of people. But Jesus tells you that's the case. And that should be the expectation. He tells his disciples here as he's sending them out, as he sends the apostles out, he says, you will be dragged before leaders. He says, when they deliver you over, when they persecute, he doesn't say if in any of these. He's telling them this is going to happen. And so be ready when this happens. And when this happens, this will happen. He's saying that over and over to them. And then that summary statement in verse 22, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And he'll go on to tell them they have already told and said, I'm the prince of demons. If they call me that, aren't they going to call you similar things? And so he's telling us right from the beginning that that is what we should expect. And I want you to think about why that's the case. If we're living in a world that says truth is relative and it's all about how I feel and what I want. And every single one of us is sinful and broken and wants to make it all about me. And the gospel comes and shines a light in there that you are more sinful than you ever could imagine. And the only way that you will ever be saved is by what Jesus does for you. That's radically humbling. It's wonderful news when you understand the truth of that and it frees you from your sinfulness. But when you hear that, it's hard to hear. Hebrews chapter four talks about God's word of being sharper than any two edged sword. That it cuts to the heart and it reveals your intentions. It lays you bare. And so when you speak the truth, understand that it's going to frustrate people at times. That you're going to have to trust the spirit would come and open their eyes to see it. 
But as you boldly proclaim, and even when you do it, with great love and humility and clarity, there will still be people that attack you. I have a friend from high school, a guy that played on my basketball team. He was a year ahead of me. Russ and I were friends. Um, last, I guess, three years of high school, we played basketball together. A couple years ago, uh, this guy who I hadn't talked to in a long time, I turned on the TV, and he was in a Senate confirmation hearing. And I went, whoa, that's, that's Russ. <laughs> he spent the night at my house. Like, <laughs> and I think of him as, uh, you know, a moron high schooler <laughs> like me at the time. And you see him, and you're like, how is he in front of Congress right now? And it turns out he was being confirmed to be the head of the Office of Management and Budget, which is a pretty big deal, like over the budget. And this was three or four years ago. And I was like, whoa, there's Russ. How about that? And I remember turning it on and watching it and seeing part of it. And what happened was Russ had graduated from Wheaton College. If you don't know Wheaton College, it's in Illinois. It's a Christian uh, undergraduate. And he went to school there. Years later, there was a, a kind of a controversy that got stirred up at Wheaton where a professor there made the claim that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. And that became a big deal at Wheaton. And how do we handle this? And what does that mean? And what exactly is this professor saying? And so Russ wrote a letter to his, pa- his school paper. And he said, Christians and Muslims don't worship the same God. And it's very clear, which by the way, I'm not saying anything controversial here. Muslims would say Christians don't worship the same God they do and vice versa. It's really not a controversial statement. But what Russ wrote is he says, Muslims do not have simply a deficient theology. They don't know God because they've rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned. Now, maybe that sounds partly narrow minded to you or but let me remind you, that's exactly what Jesus says. Right. Russ is basically quoting exactly what Jesus says in John chapter 14. I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the father but by me. Or or we looked at this a a little while back in John chapter 3. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We love that verse. But the next verse, whoever believes in him is not condemned because whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. This is what Jesus says very clearly. And so Russ wrote that and was saying, speaking truth to his university that he went to. Turns out he did that about two years before his Senate confirmation. And they took out that letter and they read it. It is Senate confirmation. And as I watched, the senator said to him, you're telling me that you believe that Christianity is right and Islam is wrong. How regressive and how awful of you. And then he made this statement. We don't need anyone like that in our government. And I sat there and watched like Russ is saying clearly the truth of who Jesus is and what it looks like. And he's facing attack for it in front of our governmental officials, right? Kind of the exact thing Jesus says here. They're going to drag you in front of this and they're going to condemn you and say those things. And all he was saying was exactly what scripture says. And it's important for us to see that, that it's going to come, that those things, if you hold fast to what Jesus says, there's going to be people that are offended particularly in a culture that is so relativistic as ours. If the prevailing truth today is there is no truth, and then you say, no, no, Jesus is the truth. That's going to bring you at odds. But I want you to notice what he says here. It's not just about being pulled in front of governments. 
It's not just persecution in that way. He tells you right here in the same paragraph that it's going to be between your own family, father and children and mothers and brothers and those closest to you. And I want you to think about why that's true. If you hold fast to the truth that Jesus is the way and you say that and you continue to hold that even with those closest to you, there's going to be times where that's rejected. And that is so hard. It's one of the hardest things to say to a brother or sister, someone so close to you, that this is what God says. And I know there's people sitting right here that are that are dealing that with that with their own children. Those that they love the very most, that this is who God is and this is what he calls us to. And we so just want to go, it's okay. There's times when we just want to say, we'll let that slide. But I was reading this week in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know what 1 Corinthians 13 is? The love chapter. Love bears all things. Everybody reads it at their wedding, right? It's, it's the flowery, like all those. And you're like, oh, it's so great. Love... But you know what it says in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 13? It says, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. That if you truly love someone, you're going to tell them the truth. And what Jesus is saying here is there's going to be moments in your family and in your life and those that are closest to you that are going to reject Jesus. And there's going to be something in you that just wants to go, I love you and it's okay. And you do say, I love you. And you do say, I want to be on your side. But this is what is true. This is who God is. And when we say that, it is going to bring division. There are going to be times. And so Jesus says to us here, he reminds us, you love me above everything else. And that's really hard. Particularly to people that you really love and care about. But this is what God's word says. And so we have to have that mindset from the very beginning that there are going to be times when there's division. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be opposition if you hold to the truth. Now, one add on to that. If you've never in your life been persecuted for your faith, and I mean like somebody's never, persecution in our culture is pretty low, right? Persecution in our culture is like, I can't believe that you believe that. You're an idiot right? That kind of thing. Like, come on, man, that's regressive. That's ridiculous. That's kind of persecution in our culture. But I'm going to tell you, if you've never, ever heard that ever in your life, no one's ever said, I can't believe you believe that you're probably a coward. And I don't say that jokingly. If you've never shared the truth of who Jesus is with people in your life to the point that somebody said, I don't think that's right. Or I don't agree with you or worse. You're insane. I don't want to have anything to do with you. If it's never happened, then there's probably something in us that's being cowardly. But the opposite end of that spectrum is true. And I want to make sure I say this. I've known people in my life that read verses like this and they're like, that's right. And I'm going to be persecuted by my faith. And they walk around saying everything really, really argumentative. And they get right in people's faces. And then when they get persecution, they're like, praise God, I'm being persecuted. If you're never persecuted, you're probably a coward. If you're always persecuted, you're probably a jerk. It doesn't mean that you're looking for fights with people. It means you say the truth with great humility and grace inside of relationships as you get to know people and love them and speak the truth to them. 
in love. Absolutely. Always. And that's what we're called to do. But if it's always you're just looking for a fight, that's not the spirit. Right? The spirit tells us what it looks like. It's patience and kindness and peace and joy. And that means in, even in confrontation. And so those sides, I want to make sure that we see that. Hold fast that persecution is to be expected. But also do go into everything with great grace and humility. That's the first thing. Second thing that I want you to see is what he says in verse 26 to 28. Have no fear of them for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the mountaintops and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And I'm going to summarize what he says there this way. That's particularly verse 28. This life is not all there is. Jesus is saying to us very clearly, don't fear the person who's going to persecute you today. He actually takes it all the way. Don't fear to the person who can kill you, that can end your life in this moment right now, but fear the one who can put your body and soul into hell. He's talking about himself. He's talking about who God is and the way that we approach him and what it looks like. That there is more to this life than the however many years that God gives us. If you're really, really fortunate, maybe you get 80, maybe 90. Maybe one person in the room will live to be 100. That is a mist in the scope of eternity, right? James says that. You're the mist that vanishes before dawn. That's our life in the scope of eternity. It's, a, it's an instant. And Jesus is reminding us that we need to have that view of the eternal over the temporal. I know this is really, really hard to consider and to think about. But if you live by faith in this moment, moment by moment, and what comes in your life is that you have to suffer for the next 30 or 40 or 50 years, it is more important to hold fast to who God is and to trust Him in all things, that this suffering is temporary in the light of eternity and you trust Him in all things. And we don't like that. We don't like the, how that feels. I don't want to suffer. I want to end that as fast as I can. But that's not what we're called to. And he reminds us that it's more important to see the eternal over the temporal. To honor God in everything. There's a song that I really love. It came out like maybe 10 years ago. It's called Moment of Surrender. And it has this, this part in the middle. It says, at the moment of surrender... Vision over visibility. Right? Vision over what is to come and what I know is true over what I can see right now. That's the moment of surrender. That we surrender to who God is and what he's told us is coming. And even when we can't see it in that moment that I'm going to trust what he says is coming. And I'm going to hold to his promises over what I can see right now. And he calls us to operate in that way. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. Care more about God's glory over even your temporary happiness and the way that you think you're going to be happy or what culture tells you or what the things that the world says to you right now. That honoring God, it will always be better. In the long term, it will always work out. He will always bring those things to fullness. And he tells us that. And so he says here, 
fear not the one who can kill you, but fear the one who can send, destroy the body and soul in hell. And just so we're clear, Jesus says this over and over again. He makes it very clear. Exclusive terms. There's no way that we are reconciled to the Father but what Jesus does. Nothing else. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He's going to say this over and over and over again. And I'm going to tell you, in a relativistic society, that is going to be attacked. When you say Jesus is the only way. And so we need to understand this eternal over the temporal. You expect that there'll be persecution, but you also recognize that what is to come is far more important even than right now in this moment, that we trust God and the fullness of what he's told us. But then the last part I want us to consider is three promises that he makes to encourage you, because that's not easy. It's not easy to stand up and say, you're going to be persecuted and your life may be suffering and it might be hard, but keep trusting But I want you to hear the promises that he gives us to encourage us in that. Verse 26 again. He says, have no fear of them. Talking about those that would persecute you. Those that would throw lies at you. Right? It's right on the heels of them calling Jesus the prince of demons. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. And I want you to think about that. Why that's such a wonderful promise. Have you ever had someone say something that's slanderous about you? You ever heard, had somebody assume the worst of what you're doing and then go tell people, can you believe they're doing that? And you know it's a lie. And you know it's not true. And you want to go, oh, that's not true. That's not what I said. And that's not what I meant. And that's not what my heart was. And it doesn't matter. Have you ever had that happen? I think if we thought about it, at some point in your life you've had that happen, and maybe more than once, and people coming at you, or, or today, you speak the truth and you say it. I, I think about my friend Russ sitting in front of the Congress and them saying, we don't want people like you. And how hard that would be. But hear what Jesus says. He says, have no fear for nothing covered will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. I think part of what Jesus is saying is the truth will come out. That God is a God of truth He's the God of justice, that all things are going to be set right. That in the end, we're going to see the fullness of everything that he has done and what is true about this world we live in and who God is and how we relate to each other and to him. And you can trust him in that. And I find great comfort in that. It's also a little scary. If you think about it, the truth will come out. That works both ways. It will be brought to the light in all things, which I would remind you is why we all desperately need Jesus. The truth is going to come out and we're going to rejoice in the truth, but the truth is going to come out in the areas of our own heart that were sinful. And we're going to rejoice that Jesus is so gracious. But the truth will be revealed and that's a wonderful promise. The second thing, Look at what he says in verse 29 to 33. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them fall to the ground apart from your father? But even on the the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. 
I love the way Jesus says that there. Talks about the sparrows that are sold for a penny. And then he says, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the father. That as every bird on planet earth that is flying in the air right now is being held there by the word of his power. Every single one. And the power of that God knows every single hair on your head. It's amazing. That he knows you so intimately that he knows everything about you. He knows everything that you're going through. He knows every attack or word or things that will be said. And he's saying to you, I've got you. Just like those birds rely on me to stay in the air, you too rely on me. I have got you in everything. There is nothing that you go through that he doesn't know. There's no struggle. There's no heartache. There's no problem. There's nothing happening in your life that God is ignorant of. As you sit here today and you're burdened with different things and you feel that and God knows all of them. And he tells you, you continue to trust me. You acknowledge me before men and I will acknowledge you before the Father. I've got you in this. You just trust me. It's a beautiful promise that God knows everything about you and that he loves you and he cares for you and he's working in your life. Makes me think of the end of of Romans chapter eight. He says, what shall we what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, you are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, right? He just told us your sheep being led out in the midst of wolves. But he says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't matter what comes. He's got you. There's wonderful good news, particularly on the heels of be ready to suffer. There's going to be persecution. But he says, I've got you in the midst of it. But then the very last thing, and I'll be real brief here on the last one. Verse 22, he says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Or verse 39. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me, but whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's the ultimate promise of what Jesus tells us. You follow me, and it's going to be times of persecution, and there's going to be times when it's difficult. But you give your life, and you follow me, and you're going to get your life back in a way that you can't even fathom. It's going to be so far greater. Right? Paul says this, and he says that this... Light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that's to come. And I've said this before. I think I've even said this recently here. Light and momentary affliction. The Apostle Paul. They tried to kill him like four or five times. Shipwrecked. Thrown in jail. All the things that Paul went through in his life. And he says that's a light and momentary affliction compared to what's coming. That God's going to work all these things together for good. And in the end, we will see that clearly. And so take heart and continue to trust him in all things. Friends, our our world's a mess. And it doesn't look like it's getting better in the short term. But Jesus is still ruling and reigning. 
and we can trust him in all things. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. I pray that when we struggle with the hard truth of what you've told us, and it's difficult in the way we're feeling and the situations we're dealing with, the things that we have right in front of us, we pray that you would help us to trust you in all things and in all ways. That we would always hold fast to what your word says. That we'd always love people in the ways that you have loved us. That we would speak the truth boldly, but with great humility and compassion. That when people come at us or or, or say things that are not true against what you have told us and what your word says, we pray that we would rest in you, our Savior and our King. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.